Hi, and welcome to the Silverline Podcast, an audio version pulled from the video stream we do a couple of times a week. My name is Roland Mann, and I'm the head honcho at Silverline, where we have a great time making fun comics that we think you'll enjoy. This episode is titled Divinity and Twilight Grimm Q&A, and originally aired June 4, 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, coming to you live from the internet, your main presentation tonight, Silverline Comics, with the crew of Divinity and Twilight Grimm, in a Q&A. And we're in. Hi, I'm Sydney Williams. Welcome to Silverline Live, the official video presence of Silverline Comics, the upstart, uh, genre-spanning indie comic book producer. I'm happy to be here with you. I am actually one of the writers for uh, many Silverline titles, but uh, Roland has asked me to help out with the hosting so that we can actually do more shows per week. So this is my first night uh, taking over the Wednesday night slot. Uh, and uh, Roland will be on Sunday night with some uh, Silverline creators. And uh, then he will be back on with a Silver Line one-on-one at 9 p.m. Monday night with uh, Tommy Floriamonte, who uh, we will possibly see tonight uh, and who drops in frequently here. Um, So uh, a a one-on-one conversation uh, on Monday night. So, But tonight we are very excited at, uh, at Silver Line because we have seen the Silver Line double header divinity and twilight grim comic book kickstarter get fully funded and we are just mega excited we have done it during a pandemic and uh brought it home and we thank everybody that has has stepped up and bought properties bought art uh contributed to the uh to the cause and uh very quickly once the uh we have 60 odd hours left i believe right tim of the uh uh something uh, like that let me get the yeah uh, so it's, two, it's roughly two days yeah. two two days and change 65 hours you're right 65 hours 65 hours left and so i, I will note that uh there's still time to get on the divinity and twilight grim bandwagon because some very cool stretch goals that we'll be talking about later uh, have have uh, begun. Uh, if we hit some next tiers of uh, of participation, uh, then then some just beautiful artwork uh, will become available to uh, to backers. Uh, and so so just a, 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 a tremendously. Um, exciting time for Silverline and what we're going to devote the live show to tonight is discussing each of these um, each of these properties and we have the creators and uh, and, and uh, one of the artists with us tonight so we'll, we'll talk more in depth about what went into producing these titles and also more on the fabulous and rich backgrounds of our creators we have uh, we have uh, people with uh, incredible credits in, involved in Divinity and Twilight Grimm. Uh, and what we're formally going to do uh, before we go too far is let each of, uh, each of the people with us tonight uh, uh, talk about themselves briefly and, and fill us in on their credits. And um, 
Uh, we have a guest uh, that I need to uh, can can. Uh, I can grab that. Can we route him uh, route him to the proper location? Uh, well, w- without further ado, let's get our murderers row introduced. I want to <laughs> note that Tim TK is with us tonight. He was he did the fabulous announcing, and uh, he is uh, he is on the West Coast with the Silver Line Orchestra tonight and uh, <laughs> producing, keeping us on the air. Uh, so, Tim, tell us uh, tell us about your role with Silver Line. Uh, hi, my name is Tim TK. I am the associate editor. Uh, essentially, that means that I am rolling second brain, so I just kind of take on whatever he wants to pass off to me. Uh, and that includes scheduling and uh, uploading to the Silverline website and running our wonderful craft series, where each month we talk about uh, how creators uh, do their craft of making comic books. I am also currently editing two titles and something else is happening that we can't talk about yet. That there, there's a lot of that uh, <laughs> because there's so many things going on, and so we're just not quite ready. Well, thanks, Tim. And Tim is, again, pushing buttons, doing all the producing tonight, keeping us busy. We should mention that Roland, who, if, you, if this is your first time with us, Roland Mann, who uh, is the uh, uh, godfather, I guess, of uh, Silverline, uh, was a, a, a editor at uh, Malibu, worked for Marvel when... Uh, Marvel bought Malibu back in the day and has written titles most uh, most notably, I guess, and pro- probably his best known work is Cat and Mouse. And there's some new Cat and Mouse titles out uh, and Demon, Demon Tale, Demon's Tales. Uh, and he, we sometimes say he is the cheerleader of comics. So when we talk about Roland and we probably will a lot tonight, that's who we we mean with uh, in referring to Roland Mann, the, the guy that put all this together. Well, next on my uh, murderer's row, and you, you see him working right now, is uh, artist Rob Davis. Uh, <laughs> Rob, tell us tell us a little bit about yourself, your work with Silverline, and, and your work outside of Silverline. Uh, you have a, a great history and uh, great credits. <laughs> Catch well, us up. <laughs> well, it's been a, been a while. I started uh, back in mid 80s 86 87 uh i started out in in professional drawing doing uh work in role-playing games uh dc comics had a had a role-playing game from a company called mayfair games and uh, i was at the time i was going to uh, the chicago comic-con which is now part of wizard world uh and showing my portfolio and getting getting feedback, and then I'd go home and I'd work. And this the second, I believe, second or third one I went to, I ran into the uh, the art director for Mayfair Games, and uh, she hired me to do uh, some illustrations for that. And I immediately I'm going, okay, I'm in. Now I got to elbow my way where I want to be. So I kept going to conventions, and uh, I read in. I was I worked for a company called Now Comics, uh, which is <laughs> not one of my prouder moments there were there were a lot of problems with now comics that it was uh if you got if you got paid you were lucky <laughs> so it was it was one of those kind of experiences they did not pay now right no they paid yeah if you were lucky in a month or two you know it was yeah. it was like pulling teeth so um but it was it was a gig and I did that for probably about 
12 months, 13 months, somewhere around in there. I did a couple of, I did a couple of inking jobs that didn't even get published. Uh, I actually started out as a letterer, strangely wow. enough. And then I was an inker and then they needed a penciler. And I'm going, finally, I get to do what I really want to do. But uh, I worked for them for a while and then uh, uh, ran into R.A. Jones at a convention. <clears throat> and he was working on it and, and he, we exchanged uh, contacts. I gave him my, my, my card. He gave me his. And then uh, well, like a month or two later, I, got a, I get a telephone call from him. And he's, he's going, well, I've got a book out right now that I'm, that I'm working on called Simidar. And the first artist, I, I don't know what he's looking at, but it's not my scripts. <laughs> so he, he asked me, well, we need somebody to finish out the miniseries. It's, it's a four-issue miniseries. And we, or it was actually going to be an ongoing, if I remember right. But we're going to turn it into a miniseries because the sales are so low. Would you come in and finish out the last two issues? So I jump in. Do the first issue, do the it's the third issue of this four issue now miniseries, and sales start back up, which surprised even me, you know. I, but at least I was following the script that, that Ari was writing, and plus I was bringing some some of the more the racier ideas that he had about this book because he had some very uh, very strong ideas about where this was going to go, and it wasn't going to be just a a kids book. This was going to you know, go to the next level. So we took it, we took it that way. And the sales went up and they said, well, that, that was a surprise. Let's do a second miniseries. And we kind of parlayed that. And, and we did that for several years. And then I, I got an opportunity to work on uh, a, a book from innovation called quantum leap based on the TV show quantum oh, leap. Fine. And I, I, and I'm going, well, one of my goals in, in the comic book industry was to work on star Trek books. And I thought, this is a good first step to do that. If I can do this and prove to DC, who had the license at the time, that I can do likenesses, maybe they'll accept me on the Star Trek book. So I did that. And before I had finished that one issue that I did for them, Malibu, who I had just left because I'd left Simidar, and another book that Ari and I were working on called Merlin, we finished both of, both of those up the last miniseries of each. And then I moved on and was working for innovation and was trying to trying to work my way into, into DC. And I got one gig from them on Star Trek The Next Generation. And Malibu acquired the rights to Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Since I had their number, I dialed them up or, and convinced them to let me come back and work on that as well. And they put me on the, the artist who was working on it at the time uh, could only do a couple of issues at a time. So they needed somebody to fill in every like third issue. So I was filling in for him and then also doing deep space nine miniseries uh, in, in addition to that. So that kind of parlayed into things. And then I, I got a little bit more work from, uh, from DC and then uh, eventually uh, got, got to was working on that and uh, did, did a five issue stint on uh, star Trek with Kirk Spock and McCoy Cool. And then uh, after getting that gig for that, that gig, uh, that kind of went away for a little while. And I was back doing the, the uh, Deep Space Nine stuff. And the editors there asked me to work on, they had they'd acquired the rights to Voyager, Star Trek Voyager. And I was going to be the regular penciler on that one. Well, that's when Marvel decided that they were going to buy, they had, I think they had bought Malibu at that point. 
And uh, but they were going to shut down Malibu and bring everything over to Marvel and fire everyone that had worked at Malibu. And then uh, so that kind of ended my career in comics there for a while. I tried for a while to get in, but all my contacts had either left the industry or got fired along with me at, at Malibu. Uh, struggled for a little while. Got so, got a few things going, but that uh, that kind of went by the wayside. But it, the, the industry is kind of like that. Every ten years or so, it's up and down. So uh, uh, do, I tooled around a little while. I worked as a as a graphic designer at a t-shirt place. I did some advertising art. I did some design work for uh, for some uh, professional wrestling uh, video games. And then uh, as things progressed, that, that wasn't going to be a regular gig anymore. Uh, started having kids with my wife, had a mortgage. And I'm going, okay, I need something a little more steady. So I became a bus driver. Wow. So I drove, I drove a bus for about 20 years now. I always had a room in the house dedicated to, to, to be my studio. I'm in it right now. Uh, and uh, so I kept at it. But uh, my, my focus on making a living was with driving a bus. Ended up uh, becoming a bus supervisor. I retired from that, semi-retired from that a few years ago, kept on driving. And then COVID-19 came along and kind of essentially completely retired me. <laughs> so uh but in the meantime about about 10 15 years ago i ran into an old friend of mine uh, ron fortier who used who wrote to for now comics the uh, green hornet comic books anybody remembers that from back in the 90s and uh he i was doing something on the internet and he saw it and got a hold of me and he had this idea for a for a, a book that he wanted to try to sell called daughter of dracula and uh, it was either going to be a miniseries or a graphic novel. And we kind of decided it was probably going to be best as a graphic novel. And, and uh, he asked me if I'd be interested in it. And I said, well, I don't know. Send it over to me. Let me take a look at it. Well, I looked at it and I liked it. But at the same time, I was concentrating on making a living. And I knew I couldn't spend a lot of time on it. So to kind of blow him off, <laughs> I told him I could only do one page a week thinking he'd say no. Well, he said yes. <laughs> and that turned into a two-year deal. It was 112 pages. And then that that kind of snowballed into other things. And right now I'm actually part of uh, a partnership with, our, with uh, Ron Fortier in uh, Airship 27, which is a, 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 a very... A, 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 company that takes old pulp characters that I was are saying, yeah they do pulp uh, I knew they did pulp uh, yeah. things and, and we do and other things do as novels well. they do novels with them we do novels so, yeah. anthologies we cool. do all kinds of things we started out with cool. anthologies on the old characters that are public domain yeah. we found writers who, who uh, wanted to kind of break into that wanted to write those kind of stories artists who wanted to illustrate those kind of stories and I learned how to uh, how to assemble them with a computer put them in and then public domain, of course, with Amazon and and all this came along, and so we started publishing those kind of books. We've kind of made our mark on that. We've got almost two hundred books out now. Wow! Uh, that are that they're all up on Amazon and they're all available. What's nice about print on demand is you don't have to have a big uh, big amount of money to, to chunk into buying a 
a huge print load of, of yeah, something. Our, our warehousing and, and all of the yeah, headaches that used to exist. Yeah, Amazon yeah. is our warehouse. Uh, there is, again, a lot of love for those characters, so it's great that uh, great that uh, you're yeah, able and to we pull don't, those we together. We don't change them. We don't update them. We, you know, a lot of times yeah. they'll try and update them to the t- common day. Yeah, there, there are some uh, editions of the spider that were updated, <laughs> I think, in the 60s, you know, and uh, with the 60s style covers. But it's not, 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 it's, the not the, it's not the pure stuff. We're doing well, we're doing the original. We're doing them just like they were back in the 20s and 30s. Cool. And that well, seems to uh, have really uh, gotten the fans involved. Uh, so, Rob, Rob, we got a question for you on Facebook. Oh, okay. Uh, that's again, are you still local to Chicagoland? Am I still local to Chicagoland? Uh, if you call mid-Missouri, uh, halfway between St. <laughs> Louis and Kansas City, if you call that close to Chicago, I, I guess so. But that's, <laughs> that's, that's where I live. I'm, I'm a Missouri uh, born and bred. All right. I'm, I grew up in southwest Missouri. Was uh, So you, you could call me a hillbilly and it wouldn't bother me too much. Sure. <laughs> Ozark Mountains. Uh, speak, certainly, <laughs> Rob's career certainly speaks to the talent that we see going into these new projects. And so very, very exciting, very interesting there. Let me uh, move on along my murderer's row. And okay. next, uh, we'll, we'll get, back, we'll get back. We'll talk more. We'll talk more. Uh, wanna, uh, next on my murderer's row is Barb Kalberg, the uh, creator and co-scripter, I guess, or co-writer of Divinity. We'll let her tell us uh, uh, the particulars there. Barb, tell us a little bit, a bit about your background and what you, uh, uh, we'll talk more about Divinity later, but you can fill us in on uh, what's going on with that. Well, I was a late bloomer as far as becoming a pro in comics. I was 29 before I broke in and um, weaseled my way basically into working for Adventure Comics, well, Eternity Comics actually, um, doing gray washes. But then they jumped me over to Inks on 11 issues of Planet of the Apes. And that led to working for Malibu then. And I worked on a lot of their books. I did all of the uh, solitaires. And um, while I was working for Malibu, that led into working for um, DC um, Innovation, uh, Now Comics, Warp Graphics, uh, Palliard Press, Marvel, um, probably a couple more that I can't think of. I think I was looking the other day, and I, I can't remember if it was 92 or, or in 93 or 93 and 94, but at one point, I, in a two-year span, I was working for Malibu, DC, Marvel, Now, and Innovation all at the same time. Um, and I never Great. did get my last paycheck from Now. Uh, very busy. <laughs> well, speaking of Now, huh? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, I spent two and a half years on Impulse for DC Comics. I did 17 issues, which was all of their existed, um, of Primal Force for DC. I worked on Barbie for Marvel, uh, She-Hulk, um, uh, Captain Marvel uh, with uh, Dwayne McDuffie. Um, Hawkman, Green Lantern, I, you know, uh, Elf Quest for War Graphics. Uh, did you do, do a work on a uh, Freddy Krueger? I did for innovation. I was like the queen of the horror uh, movie uh, adaptations for for innovation. I did um, Child's Play, um, uh, Freddy's Dead, um, uh, Lost in Space for innovation. I did a lot of a lot of. of course, I was so, that was the 
original Lost in Space. The uh, yes, the, and that was the, I was yeah. working with Bill Mooney and, and uh, Miguel yeah. Ferrer on that. The, the re reawakening, and they were Barnes and Barnes, the uh, uh, singers. I, th I think they were also singers, and yeah. of course Bill Mummy, the original Will Robinson. And um, I've, I've worked on a huge array of pencers, and I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but the ones I can remember, um, Mike Collins, Amanda Connor, Craig Rousseau, Rags Morales, Dean Zachary, Rick Hoberg, Ivan Reese, Mel Ruby, Howard Porter, Joyce Chin, Scott Collins, Jeff Johnson, Derek Robertson, Kevin West, Ed Bennis, just to name a few few but that's just a few i mean i've i've got over five thousand pages of inks so and uh 30 years under my belt now i got out at, uh, for a while when the the big implosion happened in around 2000 and uh went back to what i was doing before i got into comics which was accounting i worked as a corporate accountant for a printing company which kept me at least a little bit close to my roots um and then we paid off the house about five years ago. And I said, all right, I'm going back. Because I can't, <laughs> once comics is in your genes, it's there to stay. You cannot get rid of it. You've got the itch. Um, so I got back into it part-time with doing Cat and Mouse with Roland and Dean. And somewhere along the way, doing Cat and Mouse, we talked Roland into Kickstarting, not Kickstarter as in Kickstarter, but kicking in the, in the pants, uh, starting silver line again and uh, he says well i can't do it by myself uh i tried that once and it about killed me and so did bj <laughs> so he says i'm going to need help this time so the deal was that people would help out but it, they had to also lend their talents in other fields to help run the company and i said well you know i do accounting so that's how i became the cfo of silver line and I am inking Cat and Mouse, and I am the creator and co-writer and inker for Divinity. Um, and I am currently coloring Sirens. So coloring is a new thing for me. I've only been at it for about five, six months now. But um, creating is a new thing for me as well. I'm, I, I'm, I wanted to stretch my wings. I wanted to push the envelopes as I, as I was pushing 60 and... Um, I'm 61 now, and I've, I'm, I'm having the time of my life. <laughs> I, you speak to it being in the blood, and I think, you know, creating comics is, is some of the most fun that can be had in the creative world, uh, and, and certainly a lot more control for, for writers and uh, artists, I think, too, in, in comics, uh, more so than writers in film or uh, some other realms. Uh, well, great, Barb, and we'll talk more about Divinity in a little while. I will note, uh, I wrote the comic Sirens that Barb's talking about. It was originally published by Caliber uh, as a black and white horror tale back in the day, and uh, Silverline is, is going to bring out a color version, and, and Barb is making the color version possible with some really, uh, some really great looking, uh, really great looking work on what was beautiful black and white art. So it's, it's becoming a, a whole new, uh, uh, interpretation of the world and it's really wonderful. Well, let's move on and meet, uh, R.A. Jones, who is joining us from an undisclosed location by phone tonight. Uh, R.A. He's is, in a black op site. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, in a secure location. 
He is the uh, writer on Twilight Grimm, one of the titles in the Kickstarter doubleheader that just funded that we were talking about. R.A., writer, uh, genius, uh, <laughs> creative <laughs> genius, uh, novelist. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, I'll be glad to. Uh, before I do, though, I want to comment on something Barb said uh, about the, the comics being in your genes. Uh, it certainly is in the blood, I think. I, I've noticed more than once in my career I've encountered artists, especially, who, for various reasons, have had to take uh, other types of jobs, uh, usually in the commercial art field, and making great livings at it, probably more money than they could in comics, and yet, again and again, you'll hear, and you can just tell, they, they would almost sell their soul uh, if they could switch that around, though, and dump, dump the commercial stuff and just draw a comic. Corporate accountant, yeah, and I would have dumped uh, it all. And, uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Rob, Rob nodded when you said that. Uh, <laughs> or, yeah, uh, I, I get it. I, I, I've witnessed it. I felt it myself, of course. Uh <laughs> It's uh, it is there. It is uh, you know I I often say that uh, people who write, who draw, who are musicians or actors uh, are often said by other people to have a talent or a gift. Uh, I think it might be just as legitimate to say that what we have is a usually mild and usually <laughs> benign form of mental illness uh in the sense that that uh as i put it say about myself i i look at the same things everybody else does but i see something different than they do yeah that's where that's where the creative spark comes from uh for myself it it uh it started early on i i knew i wanted to be a writer by the time i was about uh, 13 years old and uh, I first made my mark in the comic uh, business, actually, through the uh, the fans aspect of it. This was, of course, long, long before you had uh, <laughs> blogs and, and podcasts and such. Uh, but you still had some viable uh, comic book fan magazines. And one of the more popular of the day uh, back in the 1980s was a magazine published by Fanagraphics uh, called Amazing Heroes. And I started writing articles for Amazing Heroes, then became their uh, the resident comic book reviewer. Uh, and it was through through that column that I became known uh, uh, within the industry, within fandom, but also within the, the creative side too. Uh, creators and editors would read uh, the magazines back then as well. Um, uh, comic Buyer's Guide was another popular fan magazine at the time, and in one of their annual fan polls, I was I was. Uh, selected as the favorite writer about comic books and was able to parlay that into uh, a leap into the creative side. My first uh, job was actually as, as an editor for uh, a small publisher called Elite Comics. Uh, they put out a book called Epsilon Wave and uh, a book called The Sea Dragon that uh, has a little bit of a cult following, I think, to this very day. And uh, then when, when they went the way of uh, most small publishers uh, and the flesh and were gone, uh, I was able to, to leap over then. Uh, Malibu was just really gearing up. And so one of the first uh, series they, uh, they decided to do uh, was a book uh, called Dark Wolf that was uh, 
co-created and written by me and, and uh, my co-creator, artist uh, Butch Bircham. And uh, we went from there, and I, I did uh, uh, many, many titles for Malibu over the years. Uh, I'll always remember it, one of the Chicago cons. Uh, I was talking to a fellow pro when uh, yet a third pro came up, uh, and uh, when I was introduced to him, his comment was, R.A. Jones, aren't you the guy who writes all the independent comic books that Chuck Dixon doesn't write? <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was kind of how it was then. And, uh, you know, but, but besides, uh, and for, again, for Malibu, probably my, my best known, most controversial uh, work was the, the series Simidar, many, uh, many of which I, uh, uh, I did with Rob. And, uh, and uh, show that nothing really goes away. Just uh, just a year or two ago, I actually wrote a Simidar prose novel uh, for uh, Airship 27 with interior illustrations by, of course, Rob Davis. Rob so uh, what went around came around in that <laughs> sense. Uh, I, I also was fortunate enough to do uh, a fair amount of work for other publishers as well. Uh, I adapted a Harlan Ellison short story for Dark Horse in, in their uh, Harlan Ellison's Dream Corridors uh, series. Uh, for Marvel, I, I wrote an issue of Weapon X, and I also wrote a uh, Wolverine Captain America miniseries that was uh, beautifully illustrated by my old buddy Tom Durenick, uh who had worked with me earlier at Malibu on the, uh, on the Protectors uh, comic book series. Uh, I wrote a Golden Age Green Lantern story for DC. Uh, for Image, I co-wrote uh, a series called Bulletproof Monk that uh, then became the, the inspiration for motion picture of the same title. Of course, as often is the case with Hollywood, uh, the title of the movie and the name of the main characters were about all that that movie had in common with our <laughs> comic book. Yep. Uh, I also wrote uh, two short comic book stories for the anthology series uh, Metal Hurlant. And uh, both of those stories were, were later adapted to film and became episodes of a short-lived French television series uh, called The Metal Hurlant Chronicles. And uh, those have even aired on the Sci-Fi Channel here at, at one point. And uh, those were very faithful to the original. And uh, unlike Bulletproof Monk, also uh, included acknowledgement of the original comic book creators as well oh, nice. so so that was uh, that was nice and then in recent years i have uh, largely devoted myself to writing novels i've now written or co-written more than a dozen uh novels including several for airship 27 but i've also written a series of novels for westerntainment uh involving a group i call the steel ring and uh they'll be recognizable to those who were fans back in the 90s of the series Protectors. Um, how the Protectors came about is Malibu discovered that uh, one of the early comic book publishers, a company called Centaur, uh, that ran from about 1939-1942-43 before they went out of business, and no one had ever renewed any of the copyrights. So all the characters were in public domain. So they asked me to help them uh, create a new modern-day series using those characters, and we did. Uh, it was entitled The Protectors, uh, set in the, the current, then current time of the 1990s, and various spinoffs, including The Ferret, Man of War, Airman, uh, 
uh, The Arrow, which was uh, one shot, which was written by Roland Mann. And uh, so these uh, these novels that I collectively call the Steel Ring novels uh, came about when uh, I was uh, approached by a gentleman who asked me, telling me he always liked those uh, comic books and asked if I would have any interest in writing prose adventures using the same characters. But if I didn't mind setting them in their original time period of uh, the late 30s, early 40s. So I've now written uh, three novels uh, using uh, the old centaur heroes, uh, interacting with real people and real places and real events. Uh, And I'm just starting work uh, on on what will be the fourth one. And uh, as I said, several several books for uh, uh, Airship 27. I just turned in the manuscript for my latest... uh, Effort to them about a week ago. It's uh, for a, a novel that's in, uh, going to be entitled uh, Alice in uh, Neverland, <laughs> yeah. which, just as the title right. suggests, uh, it's Alice from the Alice in Wonderland stories, now a few years older, uh, and she decides to take another plunge through the looking glass. But this time, instead of coming out in Wonderland, she finds herself in Neverland where she, of course, meets Peter Pan and Tinkerbell and uh, joins them in an adventure. So uh, that was a lot of fun. It uh, gave me a chance to, to try, try to write something suitable for all ages and employ a little whimsy along with uh, the action and the drama. And, uh, and that, so that was, that was great. And, and, of course, currently when, when Roland Mann contacted me, uh, you know, they're, they're just certain certain people and certain projects and such where it's just, it's, it's just a no brainer. Uh, I mean, all Roland had to do was, was tell me he was doing something and wanted to work with me again. And I was on board. Uh, no questions asked. I mean, that, uh, that's one of those things, uh, Barb may not even know this herself really, but, uh, uh, the book I'm working on, uh, with her divinity, I've told people it's the first time I've ever uh, accepted a writing assignment without even knowing what it was I was going to write. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Because yeah, literally, Roman, Roman, or Roland, rather, I'm sorry, uh, Roland simply simply sent me an email, uh, telling me that Barb had an idea for a series she was wanting to do, but that uh, she she wasn't comfortable doing it all uh, scripting and and wanted to know if 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 uh, Roland would help her find a, a writer to work with her and uh, he sent it on to me and uh, that again that was all I needed uh, uh, a it was Roland B it was Barb uh, I'm honored I'm honored well you. you know it's one of the cases Barb I I mean besides just being uh, one, one of the loveliest ladies uh, in comics uh, back in the day, again, we were both doing a lot of work for Malibu Comics. We just never did anything together at Malibu Comics. And I, yeah, I, I, well, I always hated that because I, I was I was a, a huge fan of her work. Uh, she she was and still is. It's just an outstanding inker. I, I loved what she did, but it just never worked out. For, for her to, to work on anything that I was writing. So that was all it took, literally. And, and that was it. I, I had no idea what her idea was at that point, what kind of 
of book or story it was going to be, uh, and I didn't care. I, I just said, hey, it's Roland, it's Barb. Yes, tell her if she wants me, she's got me. Uh, I'm all in, and let's do it. And uh, it's, oh, it's been great. Oh, you're making me You're making me tear up. Jeez. Oh, Thank well, <laughs> it's all true. All true. I wouldn't have said it otherwise. Uh, very, it's, it's very nice to. Uh, well, fortunately, we've gotten fantastic reviews on the on the book, so I think we made the right yeah, choice here. Yeah, great stuff. Well, Mickey Clausen has joined us, uh, who is the colorist on, uh, is it colorist on Twilight Grimm? Oh, he's still muted. Yep. Yes. Is he muted? Okay. Uh, Mickey Clausen has joined us, too. We, we will chat with him in a little while. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, to Silverline Live, talking about stuff we make. Uh, Jack C. Mick 2 on Twitch, we talked a little bit during the break, and uh, hope you like our uh, suggestions there. Uh, we do have some cool stuff up on our website for order, um, and uh, of course we did just uh, wrap a uh, fund, and now we're finishing up the... Uh, pre-order purchases for twilight grim and divinity 2 we or divinity 2 divinity uh we met our divinity goal number one. divinity number one uh we met our goal there so uh that that'll be shipping out shortly so if you want to pre-purchase now's the time cool cool and uh, happy to be back here and uh we are uh now going to go and meet mickey clausen who uh worked on uh Divinity, right? No, Twilight uh, Grimm. Twilight Grimm. I, I knew that for a second, and then I lost it. I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, Mickey, welcome, welcome to Silverline <laughs> Live. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what uh, what you have been doing in comics, and uh, we will talk later about Twilight Grimm. More about Twilight Grimm. I started uh, back in '85. I had uh, come. I lived in El Paso, Texas, back then. Uh, in fact, I heard you mention uh, Epsilon Wave and uh, Sea Dragon. I did a little bit of stuff for them back then in the days. But I went out to, from El Paso to San Diego Con in 85, uh, trying to get on inking. Uh, met a publisher, and he told me, quite frankly, you suck as an inker. <laughs> I've been told yeah, that too before, so don't worry. <laughs> and I had taken some pieces I inked and colored, and... Uh, Went back to El Paso, you know, all discouraged. But uh, he called me back in around November, and again he said that you sucked as an inker, but I liked your coloring, and I thought about being a colorist. And I quite frankly told him, no, I didn't. And so, <laughs> if I want to color, you know, I could use you. So became a colorist. <laughs> so <laughs> it's then, one of those things where the answer is yes, yeah. <laughs> if, if there's work. <laughs> and, uh, he gave me three covers. It was on a Tuesday. And he goes, uh, problem is I need him back. I need you to ship him back Wednesday morning. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I uh, said, okay, yeah, sure. And at that time, I was on a workman's comp. I had opened a new comic book store. And I was going to the community college from like 8 in the morning till 9.30, 10, open the comic store from 10 to 6. And so, of course, I told him, yeah, I can get it done. <laughs> my three teeth, that's what I did to get my first job. Yeah. And I had finals that night. Ooh. And the next uh, Wednesday night, we were supposed to leave to Houston, Texas to see my sister and them for Thanksgiving and stuff. And my wife kept telling me, no, no, don't do it. You know, but so I've been waiting. You know, it's been like four or five months. I can't turn down the first job. So I did it. <laughs> 
I got him done, got my finals done all in one night. Got him off to FedEx in the morning. Got worked all day till the store closed at six, hopped in a car and drove 13 hours uh, all the way down to Houston. Wow. So uh, actually Austin and uh, went through 400 comic boxes to buy comics from my store. And then after that, drove into Houston to see my sister. And then she was, by then it was like Thursday. And she's like, oh, let's party. You know? <laughs> I'm like, okay, why not? <laughs> so I had gone from like Tuesday morning all the way to like Saturday, no sleep. So, so it was a crazy time, but got my first job done. Yeah. Um, it didn't see publication though till six months later. Of course. <laughs> so that was kind of a but... <clears throat> Doesn't that, doesn't that upset you when they do that? Yeah, they, they they rush you to get a book done, and then yeah. it doesn't come out for six months. <laughs> That's just yeah. I, well, that one, happened to me a few times. Yeah, one of them was a Dave Stevens uh, advertisement back cover, so that was kind of cool. Oh, so, well, there you go. It was yeah. worth it. <laughs> so yeah, wow. So that's how I got started, and then in '90, I sold my store and moved out here to San Diego, and. uh from 90 to 95, I lived off of all of the comics I brought from my store. I brought like uh, 50,000 books with me. And, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, first two years, wow. I didn't work. All I did was do comic cons on Saturdays and Sunday. Made a few grand a week just doing two comic conventions every week. And then I just concentrated on learning how to do coloring and everything. Uh, my first job was with Airbrush. I used to need water airbrush and <clears throat> I did some, and then I lost my job with him because one of his employees came back with computer coloring and he could print out the color set. So I was, uh, gone. <laughs> yeah. So I turned around and said, okay. Uh, I went and got, took a computer graphic class, learned computer coloring, came back and told him, well, I can airbrush on computer now and took the job back. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, I was like, I ain't going to lose this job. <laughs> we, we're so, kind of saying that, that this life, the creative life, is, is kind of living by your wits. And that's yeah. uh, what you have to do. Yeah. So I kept going as a colorist. And then I just recently, the last five, six years, I started getting back into inking. So I've been doing inking and coloring. Cool. So You're never uh, too old. That's what I tell yeah. people. <laughs> right. I, I I think I'm more creative than I was when I was younger. I mean, I know more. So <laughs> you've seen the you, know, you have more to tap into. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nothing so like, against <laughs> nothing against Tim, who is the baby of the uh, of the room tonight. Yeah. So, um, in the meantime, last twenty years, I've been a high school teacher. Uh, you know, you got family to support, you know, Bill. So uh, I've been doing uh, high school teaching by day and comics by night. Uh, I teach 3D animation, graphic design, and multimedia production. So, looking to go, probably retire another year or so and go into this full-time. So, Retirement is great, let me tell you. You can do this. <laughs> totally focus on comics. Yeah. So lately, I've just been doing a lot of uh, computer coloring uh, character designs. Um, I don't know if you all have heard of Action Mice. Uh I hooked up with, uh, I did a book about 10 years ago with uh, Galestone Media, John Bryan's up in Canada, and it did barely well. And I had didn't hear from him for like 10 years. And he called me back and goes, hey, I'm putting, you know, bringing it back. Would you want to color? 
So he took me in, and so I said, yeah, I'll color that too. So he hired me as an inker, colorist, and letterer. And then uh, then he said, hey, I need some more things from you. And so I just said, all right, whatever. Kept doing stuff for him. So Action Mice, uh, the promos we did, it's now going to be Amazon Prime bought 26 episodes. Wow. And so it's going to be an animated cartoon. Excellent. And so the last few months working with him, we came up with an idea of barriers, John did, and I did all the coloring of the character designs, and that is now going to be an animated cartoon show. And the recent one, uh, if you all remember PandaCon by Dave Garcia. Yeah, okay. I met him about 30 years ago at Comic-Con. We became good friends, and uh, a couple years ago, I started telling him, you know, I had just got my stuff out of storage and I found the whole set of Pandacon comics. And I said, you know, it must be fate that these comics show up and I know you. And so I told him we should bring it back in full color. And of course he's like, well, I don't got the money for that. And I told him, well, if you just say yes, I will re-ink them so I can get all the zipper tone out. I'll re-ink all the comics. I'll color them all and I'll re-letter them all. And he said, yeah took me about a year to convince him to say okay. So he gave me permission. I started on him, and I contacted John up in Canada and said, hey, do you ever remember him? And he's, he ended up being a big fan of PandaCon and the Turtles. And so we've been talking for the last year, and about three weeks ago we signed a deal for a PandaCon animated cartoon show. Oh, wow. So Dave, Dave Garcia and Monica are ecstatic about it, and so things are moving forward on that end, so... Very it's been cool. a hectic, hectic career. Yeah. Very, very, very exciting stuff going on, though. And uh, yeah. again, it speaks to the talent that is in this this one Silverline Kickstarter uh, <laughs> that uh, has, again, happily fully funded. Uh, we are uh, well over the uh, well over the mark now. I was telling people uh, in the Silverline uh, <laughs> Facebook Messenger group that uh, it was kind of like watching that uh, championship game with the Saints a few years ago when it was the first time the Saints might go to the Super Bowl and uh, the you know championship game was going to determine it. And they got down to like the one-yard line and they could not move the ball and you didn't know if they were going to make it. And, you know, we were like within about uh, $12 of making goal last night and then a, a, somebody pulled out. And so uh, then it was $33. <laughs> and then finally, finally, uh, we were fully funded. And so, uh, so, so that brings us to the fact that some stretch goals have been introduced. Uh, Tim, can we get those on, uh, on screen? Uh, we're on the Silverline Kickstarter. Uh, I am trying to find where they put the stretch goals in here. They're on the very first thing. Should be. Oh, there yeah, yep. toward the top so you can get that there. very beautiful artwork. Uh, Barb, can you talk us through what folks will get if uh, we get to $6,300? Uh, we've got five prints. Now, these are uh, smaller prints. They're the size of um, chipboards that are used to back comic books so that they can be shipped with the comic books. Uh, the first one that you see there is um, Mitch Faust with my inks and my colors um, of the three main characters for Divinity. <clears throat> The second one uh, is a crossover with um, Cat and Mouse and Divinity, and the, those uh, that was penciled by Alex Sarabia, inked my, by my and colored by myself. 
The third one is an absolutely gorgeous piece by Jeff Johnson. I don't know if you guys remember Jeff Johnson and my run um, in Malibu Solitaire, but we made the most amazing team. Um, he did the pencils, I did the inks and the colors on that. Uh, and the fourth one is Twilight Grimm. That's is that the cover, I believe, Rob? And that's Mickey. That's yours. Uh, that's your colors, right? I believe yeah. that's the Kickstarter uh, exclusive cover. Is it not? Yeah, it's not my cover. Yeah, it's 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 oh, okay. So it is. I don't know who penciled that one, but it is just very moody and and got a, got that whole uh, vampire vibe going you, you, on. You, it. you know, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's a vampire comic there. Uh, yes. And then the last one is the cover done by Mel Ruby. And uh, he was, I mean, it is just amazing. I did the colors on it, but the, all the art is his. Um, I did another version. That's the version. Divinity number one cover. Right? Yeah, the Divinity. That's, that's the Kickstarter only version, the exclusive Kickstarter version of the cover. Um, I did another version of that so that I could, um, with, his pencils and my ink so that we could sell the original, but that one is just his art only. And it is just stunning. And so we are about at $6,100. Now, if we, if we get to $6,300, these can be, Oh, almost to 62. Okay. So, Mm -hmm. so, so not many more backers before these will become, the uh, property of uh, of those who have backed it uh, at what level? Uh, twenty five dollar level? Yeah, twenty five or more, wouldn't it? Yeah, yep. yeah, the twenty five and up. Yeah. Yep. So uh, so uh, so some great extras uh, that that can be uh, can be had, uh, and certainly there are many packages and many great uh, opportunities for great uh, art rewards if you back this pro- uh, project or this dual project. And there are also some very low cost uh, ways to get one comic, another comic, both comics, uh, flip books, which are both comics in one, uh, digital versions. If you want just to to see the beautiful artwork and read these stories, and we're going to be talking more about the stories in just a few minutes, uh, then you will, uh, in many ways, you can can, uh, get on board, get the stories, get the artwork, and uh, and also help... uh, Help oh, with the uh, the final that, final that Twilight, phase for this. That Twilight Grimm um, uh, exclusive poster was uh, penciled by Alex Gallimore. There you go. Oh, Alex. Okay, yeah. Alex Gallimore. A- Alex may be around in the uh, in our green room tonight, not in the uh, the live feed Put at the a, moment. A thumb but, for his honor. Uh, Alex is, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Alex usually joins us by sticky note uh, drawing. Uh, great, great, <laughs> uh, great, great young penciler uh, and Cubert uh, School uh, grad. And so wonderful, he's, also wonderful pen- he's also the penciler on Cat and Mouse. Cat and Mouse, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, Alex's uh, uh, artwork is, is amazing. Uh, so anyway, lots of great possibilities there. And of course, thanks to everybody that uh, has pledged so far. Uh, and uh, just it's so exciting to see that this is, is going to happen. Can I also uh, and, mention? Can I also mention yeah, that there is some absolutely gorgeous original art still available for this Kickstarter? We have got so many penciled pages by Alex Sarabia. He's the penciler for Divinity. Uh, he's out of Mexico, um, and he is his his pencils just blow me away. And there's a bunch of his. He is pages. terrific. Uh, you you kind of found him, didn't you, Barb? I, I did. Actually, he found me, but um, ah. 
he, yeah, he friended me on Facebook and, and uh, private messaged me and said, um, one of my greatest um, dreams one day is to work for you. So I, I flipped over to his Facebook page and was looking at his art. I was completely blown away. And so I, I messaged him back and said, how about right now? <laughs> Very so, cool. So his, uh, he's got lots of pencil pages available. There are some inked pages available. There are um, some originals, a lot of originals available. On a private message me and said, um, one of my greatest, whoops. Somebody's, There's Mickey. Yeah. We've got some colored pages uh, from DC's Danger Trail from Steve Matson, which is, who's a colorist on uh, Divinity. We have got some original Captain Marvel art from Mike Collins and myself, some uh, Spider-Man and Captain America art from Dean Zachary and myself, and several other pieces. So please take a look at those. Those are going to go oh, fast. And uh, it's at, uh, at 10.04 on June 3rd, when we are recording this, uh, there are 64 hours left. So uh, if you watch this tomorrow or anytime, you will have even less time. The talk clock <laughs> is ticking. You can see several of those already have gone. Big red letters gone because somebody has already snapped those up. So uh, Yeah, I, have, I have nothing to brag about. I didn't submit that many pages, and they're all gone. So, <laughs> uh, well, but, yeah. Uh, those are Alex's. some gorgeous pencil pages from uh, yeah, yeah, Divinity. Yeah. Well, well, well uh, thanks, thanks <clears throat> to everybody who supported and uh, still time to get on board and get these great comics. And these are finished. Roland always likes to emphasize that. Uh, when the Kickstarter closes, very quickly thereafter, these will be shipping. So you will not be waiting long for your, uh, your comics uh, if, you, uh, if you get on board. <laughs> And uh, we, we, we'll mention this again before we go, uh, but I want to talk more about the stories. And uh, Barb, if you don't mind, uh, since we uh, uh, have talked about Divinity in uh, previous installments, I'd like to talk to uh, R.A. a little bit about the creation uh, of uh, Twilight Grimm. And since Vicki is with us tonight, uh, talk uh, a little bit about uh, uh, the origins of Twilight Grimm and uh, uh, the story and just what's going on. Uh, R.A., was it the first thing that uh, popped up when Roland said, would you like to, to create a new comic for Silverline? It, it was one of them, yeah. He uh, he asked me uh, for, for a few ideas, actually. Mm-hmm. So uh, I sent him uh, three different short pitches, and uh, one of which was, of course, Twilight Grimm. He, he passed them on uh, to Rob to see if Rob would be interested in any of those. And uh, fortunately, he was most interested in Twilight Grimm, which would have been my first choice for him. Uh, so that worked out well. It's uh, it's a little different in that it, it is it is a modern day vampire story. Yet some of its roots uh, go all the way back to the days of the Old West in America, uh, which I'm I'm a huge huge fan of anything having to do with. Uh, the American frontier or the American West. And, uh, of course, vampires have fascinated people. Uh, I think, I think a vampire story was one of the, the stories that were created out of the competition that brought us, uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. And of course, Bram Stoker's, uh, Dracula 
uh, still remains a classic. So cornerstone of uh, horror, the, the, really. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're they're great. They're great, and they're great. Uh, they're a great type of character to to work with as well. But the Old West connection kind of comes from the fact that uh, uh, it was not unusual in towns in the Old West uh, for there to be uh, uh, a street in the town, or sometimes it was the railroad tracks if, if a railroad ran through a town. And uh, I assume this is where the term the wrong side of the tracks comes from, mm-hmm. because basically those areas to one side of that road or that railroad track would be designated as sort of a, a free zone for just about any kind of vice imaginable. That's where you would have the saloons, or where you would have the, uh, the bordellos, the opium dens, uh, etc. And generally, as long as the people who engaged in that kind of activity stayed on that side of the street or the track, the people on the other side pretended that it didn't really exist. As long as it didn't affect them, they were usually pretty content to, to leave it alone. And, and sometimes you get that even in the, I know as recently as uh, I think back in the 1980s, uh, I don't know if it still exists or not, but there was an area in Boston uh, that I believe they called the combat zone. That, that, was, that, was, that was kind of like that. And, so I, I blended the two, and what what, uh, what what spilled out when I mixed uh, the ingredients together was the story of a town called Hallowed Heights. And about 20, 25 years ago, uh, the human inhabitants of Hallowed Heights had uh, a horrible, bloody war with vampires. And the conclusion was kind of inconclusive, as, as wars sometimes are. And they reached an agreement uh, that both sides could live with. So a wall, much like the, the, the old Berlin Wall, uh, was built across Hallowed Heights. And on one side of this wall, that's where you have the middle and the upper classes, uh, the nice establishments uh, and schools, etc. On the other side of the wall is the blood zone. And in the blood zone, that's where you have the poor, the homeless, uh, the abused, the disenfranchised, the lost, and the vampires. And the vampires pretty much have free reign over the blood zone. As long as that it doesn't spill across the wall, uh, the uh, normal human inhabitants of the other side of Hallowed Heights are more or less content to let them prey on any humans they want to, who are unfortunate enough to also have to live in the blood zone with them. So that was the basic setup, and, and into that mix, of course, you have to have a, a good central protagonist, and that's where Twilight Grimm comes in. It's not only the title of the book, it's the name of the main character, who's a somewhat mysterious uh, young man uh, with, with uh, a nebulous background at this point, who has more or less appointed himself as the guardian of the humans in the blood zone. Uh, he has no fear of the vampires. Uh, though they do of him, and rightfully so. And uh, thrown into the mix is the fact that uh, Twilight seems to uh, attract young women uh, to his fear of influence. We've got we've got three uh, in, in the main mix here that I think are, are all interesting in their own rights. There's 
the newest arrival in, in the blood zone is a, a young Asian American girl named uh, Susie Q, who's sort of a Dickensian character in that uh, she has more than a touch of larceny in her, but she's a, basically a good <laughs> girl. Uh, then there's uh, there's a young woman who is the the daughter of the uh, the mayor of the purely human uh, half of Hallowed Heights, uh, and then finally there is, there is Scarlet, uh, who is herself a vampire, and the daughter of the the main vampire, who's sort of the godfather uh, of, of the uh, vampire faction, and. Uh, as our story begins, as I say, this this unusual, unusual, uh, uneasy, and an uneasy but workable truce is in full effect. But uh, Twilight Grimm learns in the course of it that uh, there appears to be a faction among the vampires that isn't any longer content with uh, the status quo and is considering breaking the truce. And that's that's where we launch into our series then. Amen. Uh, uh, some some uh, great examples of the artwork and the story are, are on the Kickstarter page for anyone uh, uh, watching us uh, either live or on uh, uh, on demand later. Uh, very exciting uh, to, uh, to and you can see the the gunslinger aspect at work there. Uh, R.A., are you a fan of uh, Robert E. Howard at all? Oh yes, I, I love uh, I love Howard's work. Uh, uh, the first novel I ever wrote, uh, again from Airship Twenty Seven, as uh, as a book uh, entitled uh, Death Walker, mm. and uh, that's how I describe it to, to potential readers. Is is it's it's somewhat uh, sword and sorcery in the vein of Robert E. Howard, only instead of a barbarian, uh, roughly Germanic barbarian like Conan, uh, my lead character death walker himself is as an american indian mm. uh, he's a cheyenne dog soldier and all the characters uh in the story are also uh, uh native american and so yes i've i've uh, i discovered howard's work uh the same time i discovered frank rosetta's art uh, because that's what graced the cover of uh, the books uh, republish uh reprinting a lot of howard yeah. stuff in the summer of 1967 yeah, so uh, nice. I've been a fan of his, and uh, and and with a little bit of uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs thrown in there as well. Uh, you, you can see influences both in a another comic book series that Butch Bircham and I did uh, that's entitled The Fist of God. Uh, that a actually uh, may in the near future uh, be reprinted as a graphic novel. Nice, nice. Well, there is a, a Robert E. Howard story, uh, a Western vampire story, and that was, I wondered if you had ever encountered that. Uh, but also, I, is uh, there any uh, Solomon Cain influence on Twilight Grimm? Uh, just That's that, possible. Uh, uh, that that stalwart, uh, you know, standing up yeah. against uh, against evil and everything, uh, just that, that spirit struck me. I yeah. wondered if... Uh, well, yeah, it's one of those things. It, it's it's uh, sometimes it's less noticeable in writers than it is in artists, uh, as far as influences go. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not unusual to be able to look at an artist and say, "Okay, that's that's not Gil Kane or that's not Jack Kirby," but I can tell this person was influenced by them. Yeah, uh, and it's the same with writers. I think just by osmosis. Uh, it's kind of in the brain. Writers, in the brain, writers are usually yeah. voracious readers as well. Yeah. So just yeah. kind of by osmosis, you you do. 
I, I think, for instance, one of the things you probably will also find in Twilight Grimm uh, that may make you think, actually, of the Solomon Kane things is, is the uh, spaghetti westerns uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of, of Sergio Leone. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, his work has, has influenced my own, especially naturally enough, my comic book work uh, and visuals. And another thing at work here that, that Rob mentioned many times over the years on our work together is that, that he and I uh, have a, a wonderful connection there. He, he, he calls it synergy. Uh, yeah. Where, uh, you know, my my writing kind of gives him to step it up a, a notch with his art and his art then in turn kind of gigs me to, to to try to step up my game a little bit as well on the writing end mm-hmm. and so uh so together i think we we have always made a terrific team well and i wanted to that's a yeah it's, it's fun when that happens and uh and rob i wanted to ask uh you know you started probably getting uh some character uh character suggestions from ra uh what went into kind of creating the visuals for Twilight Grand? <laughs> well, let me see here. I know I've got those here. Yeah, here. I've got those here. It, I was sent a uh, a description of the characters. So I, a lot of times when I when I'm doing a new book, I will sit down and and do out sketches of each character, and that's Scarlet from Ra's description. And then we've got, that's uh, Dinka Dupree, based on, again, these are all based on his descriptions. Now, I take them and, you know, tweak them with my style. I add, add or subtract or, mm-hmm. or now, and then while the book was going on, we had a, in the issue two, we have a, we kind of do a flashback and do a, 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 a a scene where there's a big riot and we needed the police design their, their costumes. So I did that up real quick and show that again so that I can get, so that I can and uh, keep it the same from scene to scene. Here's another one. Yeah, I, I didn't do this with Twilight Grimm, but there have been times in the past actually where uh, when I'm creating a totally new character, uh, that that I have actually drawn the original character concept <laughs> myself using the old principle that you know pictures worth a thousand words, yeah. and then sent that to the artist, knowing that he or she then of course will take the crude thing I've done and and, and but it but it does it yeah, a good example of that if anyone remembers actually a uh, a character I created uh, called White Devil. That uh, series was published by Malibu Comics, and actually uh, a sequel after all these years. Uh, White Devil 2 uh, is scheduled uh, to be offered in the near future from, uh, what's that name that company again? Silverline. Silverline. <laughs> yeah. Make yeah, mine Silverline. Be, uh, so after, <laughs> after low these many years, there will be a White Devil sequel uh, appearing before long. And is that yeah. Twilight Graham we're seeing there now? Um, well, this is the uh, I, this or, was going to be a point I was going to make. Yeah. This is the original drawing that I did for Twilight Graham. Now, if you, this is what he looks like now. Yeah. Now, what happened was that as I was reading the script, I think between the time that he had written the, the character descriptions and he he wrote the the actual script for it, 
he had some thoughts about what he had more uh, deeper thoughts about what Twilight Grimm should look like. So he told me that he should look more like a rock star, have a rock star look. In fact, like uh, like Morrison, Jim Morrison of The Doors. So I went on the internet and downloaded a bunch of pictures of Jim Morrison and have based his look, Twilight Grimm's look on Jim Morrison. And this is, RA's listening, this is the first he's heard that I actually did do that, that I, I took, it, <laughs> took, I took the original, yeah. yeah, the original drawing I did looks like this, but the actual, it, it, I'm going to pull it in there closer so you can see the face a little bit better. But if you, if you look, you'll see the influence, the Jim Morrison look. That he I looks added. ready to break on through to the other side there for sure. <laughs> He's got that same sort of uh, smoldering uh, sexuality about him that Morrison had, I think. Well, yeah, uh, and, this, and, and the, the character is pro- appropriately named. He's got a, a grim uh, demeanor about him, and yeah. that's uh, yeah. It, 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 you can you can only do so much. Of it. I, I'm I like to do subtle things yeah. in the art, and. That, so there's a subtle difference between each kind of grim look about him. That it, that that yeah. makes it a lot more fun to do. Yeah. That was that one of the reasons great. Rob was so, uh, Rob was that was one of the reasons Rob uh, was so perfect when we worked on Simidar together, because the character of Simidar is an empath. So yeah, subtleties of of, of human emotion and how they're expressed, right? And, and facial expressions and body language and so. We're very important to that, and Rob was was always terrific at, at capturing anything I threw at him as far as, uh, as the kind of expression I wanted a character to have in a specific uh, moment or sequence. It is great when that happens. I, I need to, to interrupt just briefly because I just uh, got a message from Barb and hit refresh. We have hit... Uh, we have hit the, the we've passed the mark for the stretch goal. Ooh, so those the those, magic those, number sixty three hundred. Yeah, we are we're now at sixty four. <laughs> All right, sixty four oh four. Let's keep it going, guys. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. During the show <laughs> live, like uh, we have a, we have, have surpassed yeah. surpassed the first stretch goal. Uh, so uh, so some more some more stretch goals will be coming in uh, the, the the remaining hours. The, the uh, roughly three days that we have left. Uh, yes, Roland uh, and I are going to have to hammer those out in the, in the board meeting after this. After this, but uh, but anyways, uh, 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 so those color the color art that we were talking about are going out to some people now. Now they are they're not you know it's not it's not a question now the the, the goal has been reached. So that beautiful uh, artwork is going out to uh, to those that have contributed. Uh, uh, Twenty-five dollars. Was it twenty-five? Twenty-five. Uh, twenty-five or more. Yeah. So twenty-five or more, uh, and so that's already happening. Wonderful. Wonderful. Of course, if well, you already uh, donated more, you can make a second donation or uh, yeah, purchase you can, twenty-five. You can still, you can still <laughs> jump on buy some more stuff. There's lots of even if you bought two comics already. There are flip books. There are individual packages and just all kind of great stuff there's, there's uh, the black and white there, versions yeah is there yeah yeah there retro retro uh, <laughs> and i believe yeah. is the is the picture of scarlet that rob was showing is that is that uh is that artwork still available uh for purchase or for uh 
What well, this it has not been for it has well, not, not been that piece, but there is a piece featuring Scarlet, I believe, a page from yes, the, uh, page yeah. twenty one. So, so if you like Scarlet, uh, there is a there's, well, that, there's that a, page went. That was oh, the did one, it go? Okay. Which is well, which is really interesting. I put that one in there because I figured someone would want to buy some cheap cheesecake because it's a it, it kind of <laughs> cheesecakey yeah. shot yeah. of her. It went last. I thought yeah. it would go first. Interesting. But yeah, you, 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 you never know. The one with you the two guns and him standing know. on top of the, the the car that went first. I, yeah. I should have known. That's that a cool. That's sure. a cool shot. Action! See, big full yeah. page splash. Well, very exciting to to, to hit that. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised though. Once people actually read the the story, if if Scarlet doesn't become uh, the most popular of the female characters in it. Because I know she's she's an awful lot of fun to write, and there, there's there's a wonderful I think tension uh, between her yeah. and Twilight. Uh, Absolutely, you can see it even in the fact that om- almost everyone who knows him, no matter how well they know him, if they're friends or not, they call him Grim. Scarlet always calls him Twilight. Uh, there is there is genuine caring on her part, but that is somewhat also the, the fact that she is also, of course, a blood sucking vampire. <laughs> so, <laughs> Minor so, details. So there's a love hate thing going on uh, b- between uh, Scarlet and Twilight that that I hope will, will resonate and, and and be an attractive element of the of the story as it goes along. It, that is often endearing. That blood-sucking vampire dichotomy is often uh, endearing to fans. So, so, so hopefully that will happen. Well, yeah. uh, uh, Mickey, you know we've talked about the creation of this world. Uh, you know, you get you get handed this uh, you get handed this world basically to then uh, decide how uh, the next stage of how it looks uh, when you when you're handed something like this, how do you start thinking through your coloring uh, decisions and everything? Oh, I think you're still muted. Oh. I usually read through the script to get the feeling of this daylight, what time of day it is and everything, and what's going on between the people. Um, being a lot of it's at night, well, of course, you're going to use some blues and uh, purple, shades of purple and everything to get the uh, night feel of it. And uh, skin tones look a lot cooler with the purple shade and everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> then uh, the ones that have sunset, well, you use a lot of the oranges and stuff to bring out the sunset. And then you switch to the blues and the purples for the nighttime stuff. A uh, couple of pages, I uh, one some of the ones I did, I threw in a moon, moon stuff in the back. Uh, so, and you can see the blue reflecting off the buildings and such. Uh, the vampires, of course, are dead, so I try to use a pale gray color for their skins and such. So, so kind of just a lot of um, uh, uh, thought about realism juxtaposed with uh, fantasy. With uh, right. um, yeah, uh, and I guess a lot goes to mood. Do you do you do you get in a different mood to color a horror comic? Or is it... Yeah, it's different from like the stuff I usually work on, like Toy Story and stuff. Though it's uh, you got to really change up the whole color palette. You know? yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of the stuff I've done have been like superheroes and you know cartoon characters, and they're a lot more lively, more primary colors and stuff. Uh, 
they got to switch to a lot of muted colors, a lot of blues and purples, and mute the colors a lot. So. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, did, did you have a uh, a favorite character in this mix to uh, to uh, add color to? No, I like the hero. Yeah. <laughs> fun to fun to work with him. He yeah. looks he looks great, and uh, yeah, he, he is blonde. Which uh, Marson was not blonde, was he? So so he's got a little bit of a unique uh, uniqueness to him, or or whatever, so to speak. Well, excellent. Well, uh, Barb, uh, to step back to divinity, uh, I think maybe steady viewers here have heard about it, but but tell us uh, again about the the characters and the powers that are at work. Uh, we have Twilight Grimm is sort of a uh, uh, horror fantasy, I guess we would say, and divinity is kind of science fantasy, science fiction. Uh, fill us in on who we're going to meet in that comic. And uh, also, I want to talk about the the uh, relationship between you and RA in in creating Divinity. That's world. that's what I've been waiting for because yeah. this is the first time that <laughs> RA has been um, available to uh, talk with Divinity uh, with me. Um, I I kind of came up with the idea of, of Divinity through a dream. Actually, I mean, I've been subconsciously tossing about the idea of um, the ability to heal for oh two or three years, I've got, I've got a daughter who's got chronic health issues and I've got a, a, a brother that last year was, was diagnosed with um, stage four cancer. And, you know, everybody wants, wants to help their loved ones. And I kept thinking about how wonderful it would be able to just magically heal my loved ones. But then, you know, I got to thinking about it and would it really be all that wonderful to have the ability to heal? Everybody thinks like, well, yeah, absolutely, positively. But seriously, think about how it would impact your life. Uh, if anybody found out, you wouldn't be able to walk out your front door uh, without being mobbed in the street. You wouldn't be able to go anywhere. People would be wanting to touch you or begging you and say, you know, save my daughter, save my son, save my husband, my mother, whatever. You know, and they, everybody would be begging you. You couldn't possibly help everybody. It would be horrible. And then on top of that, then you would want, you would have the the evil factions that would want to get their hands on you for various reasons. The uh, the pharmaceutical companies, the black ops sites, the the dictators who would want to uh, you know have you in fixing all of their their owies. Um, and and on and on the religious fanatics that either love you or want to kill you. Um, and it just gelled one night, and it, it all came together in my head. And um, I had this little 11-year-old girl who, after a near-death experience, she develops this healing ability. And she's the only one in the story that's, that's got any superpowers, if you want to call it a superpower, um, or supernatural power, whatever you want to call it. And... Um, she tries to keep it a secret, but it doesn't work out too well. And, and all of a sudden, her parents are mysteriously die. And her older brother, 24-year-old Zachary, her name is Divinity, or Vinny for short. Um, her older brother, Zachary, who wanted to be a career Marine, all of a sudden is called home on a hardship discharge. And here he's got guardianship of his 11-year-old half-sister, who he barely knows. 
they're 13 years apart in age. So you've got a Marine and a tween, and that's, um, that's a recipe for disaster right there. Um, and all of a sudden, they're thrust into this mystery of, of what happened to their parents. Um, and things go from bad to worse, and they end up having to go on the road. Um, and eventually, they're going to hook up with uh, Zach's uh, fellow Marine who's been out for a couple of years, Olivia Barnes. And it's going to become a roadshow. And I, I had always wanted to do it as a roadshow or uh, an adventure like that. But it was R.A. who came up with the idea of an overarching villain. And he, he actually said uh, he wanted to structurally make it like um, the Fugitive or the Incredible Hulk. And I'm going to let him take it from here. <laughs> okay. Well, obviously, uh, Barb gave me a great concept to, to, to work with. It's, I, I think this is, is one of those books, too. It, it, uh, again, I, I think some of the people watching and listening, if they're like me, they, they like to hear sort of behind the scenes and the making of stories. And one of the things that, that may surprise them is that sometimes – even when you create a character or a concept yourself, they don't they don't necessarily spring like Athena full grown and full blown from your skull. Uh, you often have to learn about them yourself as as you develop and write the stories and so forth. And that's that's part of the hard work <laughs> of creating, but it's one of the joys of, uh, to be able to do that. And, and if, again, I think it might surprise some people that just assume that, you know, from, from page one or from issue one, that the creator of something already knows everything there is to know about the, a character and their story and so forth. And that's often, if not usually, not, not the case at all. You, you have to learn as well. And, and I'm, I, I, while I'm a, I'm a bit of a writer, I am not a scripter. I needed help with scripting, and RA was my was my first choice. <laughs> I'm glad I was. It's 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 been great getting to work with you again and again. And Alex is is doing great great work in the penciling, and uh, it, it has been fun. It, it's D Divinity herself, Vinny is she's a little difficult to write. Because obviously I am not now, nor have I ever been, an 11-year-old girl. Uh, but fortunately, I have uh, grown up a lot of uh, around sisters and nieces and whatnot. Uh, and and she's fun. And and the again, you talk about dramatic tension. There's a there, there's a great deal of that between her and her brother. Uh, again, even though they are brother and sister, they. Uh, as he, much to her chagrin, insists on on constantly reminding her and everyone else, she is only his half-sister. Uh, he had a different mother than she does. And uh, so I, I think, in a way, he's never he, he blames her almost for the fact that, that his family isn't just him and his father and and biological mother. There's this other woman now too, uh, who was brought into the mix, uh, Vinny's mother. And his uh, ultimate dream was to be a career Marine. And all of a sudden that's been cut off now. 
Absolutely. That, and I think, I think as we progress along, we'll probably see that uh, play out very well between him and uh, Olivia Barnes uh, that Bard mentioned. Because, again, she, she left the service. Again, she, she did her hitch. She, she moved on. Uh, there was closure of, for her as far as the military goes. There was none for Zach. He, he didn't want there to be closure, uh, at least not yet. And again, I think some of the itself and some of the resentment that he feels, and it's irrational, of course, as, as many of the things we feel are, because Vinny had nothing to do with this. She's not responsible anyway for him being in this position, but he, he being human as well, kind of blames her uh, and resents her. Uh, if it wasn't for her, if his father and stepmother had simply died and and left no one behind, you know, his life would have gone on the way he wanted it to. He'd have come home for the funeral. He'd have gone back uh, on active duty then. And uh, that hasn't happened. And uh, so, so I, and I'm like that. that again, we, I describe these negative things. But as we go along, too, we see the, uh, there is some resentment. There's some anger there on his part. But as, as we'll learn, he knows deep down. He knows that it's it's not Vinny. None of this is Vinny's fault. That that he shouldn't take out his frustrations on her, even though he does. And and we'll, we'll come to see that that there is there is genuine feeling between these two, and that that I think will be a uh, a part of the journey. They they are literally on the road in a physical sense, but they're on another journey too, an emotional journey. Uh, of discovery for both of them, and I think I think that is is an element that is is going to uh, I think appeal to people. I think they'll be able to relate to that. Uh, uh, once you get past our one impossibility that we're allowed in a story, uh, her ability to heal people with a touch, it's it's just it's just a story about people, uh, people who are trying to make a connection, and it's sometimes not easy to do so. Uh, and, and that's at the heart of the story, I think. I think I, it really, uh, I, I, it really kind of confirms the uh, the Anna Karina uh, line or whatever. Uh, you know, every uh, happy family is alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. And uh, yeah. certainly, <laughs> you know, we have uh, a unique set of characters here dealing, you know, around this 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 fantastic situation. Uh, and when sorry, I, Anna, when I. No, look, go ahead. When I when I uh, when I created it, I wanted it a good old-fashioned adventure with lots of, you know, action and and drama. But I also wanted a very much a human element to it. I wanted a core where they learn to become a family eventually. So I wanted a subplot, uh, a very definite subplot where they're they're learning to become a family. But I didn't want it to be just a soap opera. I wanted a lot of action and adventure and, and um, a, a what happens next kind of factor. And, and R.A. just brought that um, in every sense of the word. We we go back and forth and we talk about different aspects of what we want. I want to see and what he, he makes suggestions. And, and uh, that's that's when he brought I, – I originally did not have the overarching bad guy. I just had a series of vignettes. Um, going from situation to situation to situation. And it was R.A.'s suggestion to bring in the 
the looming over figure of this evil cabal. And go ahead and tell them about that, all right? That's that's your deal. Uh, well, as 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 Barb alluded to, uh, yeah, if 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 someone who had this ability was not able to keep that ability a secret, if if people found out about it, then yes, human nature being what it is, uh, you would have all kinds of people wanting to exploit that person, uh, especially so given that that person is only 11 years old. Uh, and, and is still uh, not not wise to the ways of the world yet, uh, understandably. And uh, so, yeah, in, in the same way that you know, Barb mentioned, some of our, our uh, precedents like the the, the fugitive, etc. Uh, if you can remember those those old stories, there was a, there was a, a short live series um, that was called Run for Your Life. And the overarching concept behind it was a man who had been told he only had uh, a year or 18 months to live. Well, what do you do with those 18 months then? And that was the, the basis of the, of, the, of the series. But within that, that larger scheme, you've only got 18 months to live. Each episode then was its own self-contained uh, story as, as he Went, went along trying to make the most of the time he had for him. So I, I saw that with, with, with Barb's idea here, here that, uh, uh, you know, it, it would lend itself perfectly uh, to individual storylines as, as a self-contained miniseries or even a, just a, an individual issue, uh, for instance. But that, again, it would help, I thought, to have, again, the larger uh, overarching kind of scheme as well, and that's what we have. We have a, a very mysterious uh, group that has learned uh, about Vinny and her abilities. Uh, Let me, uh, sorry to, to interrupt, R.A., but uh, Mickey has sure. to leave us, and I, I want to get back to that. Uh, sure. and, uh, but I want to thank Mickey for joining us tonight. And uh, Mickey, if you can turn the mic on, we'll tell you good night. Uh, and uh, Tell us, uh, tell us again uh, the things. Uh, are, are there things on Amazon now that we can watch? Amazon Prime. Uh, it's in production right now. It should okay. be out at the beginning of next year. Okay, cool, cool. So uh, keep us keep us posted, and we will certainly shout that out uh, far and wide. And uh, thanks for thanks so much for coming and talking to us tonight. And uh, thanks for your great work on these projects, especially. Thanks, Mickey. Appreciate it. Thanks for bringing me on the team. Uh, Pleasure working with you guys. Uh, I've known John since, God, I guess it was 2000 when I first met him working on Beta. And he's the one that put me kind of in touch with you guys, said he was working with you. And that's how I got involved with all you guys. So it's a pleasure first time meeting all you guys in person. So, Likewise. Nice to meet you. Nice to have you here tonight for sure. And uh, we will we be watching for more and, of course, be enjoying the, the great work uh, in, when, uh, when Twilight Grimm rolls out. So, Thank you. Thanks. Look forward to it. It's been fun. A lot more to come. Have a great evening, man. All right. You too. Thank you. Thanks.
Well, uh, I, I'm sorry to interrupt there, R.A., but... Oh, uh, no, 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 not a problem, not a problem. To, I didn't want Mickey to get away. He was, he was having to leave. I didn't want, to, didn't want him to get away without telling him goodnight there. Absolutely uh, not. But uh, so, so the big cabal, uh, the big bad, really, uh, you know, gives, uh, gives that, uh, that tension uh, that I think a, a, an ongoing story really needs. Uh, yeah, I think, and there, there's there's yeah. kind of an element uh, we talked earlier about some of my influences that it it, it gives us a, a little bit of a of an Alfred Hitchcock uh, pen to hang our hats on here too. Uh, many of his uh, best stories were essentially about more or less ordinary people who, usually through no fault of their own find themselves thrust into the middle of a most unordinary, extraordinary conflict or situation. And that is certainly the case here. You've got an 11-year-old girl and uh, a, a young man whose uh, most of his adult experiences has been in the, the structured existence of the military. Uh, and he is, he is not you know, an exceptional person. He's not a, he's not a, a colonel or, or anything like that. Uh, though he has been moving up through the ranks, but they, they are, they're basically ordinary individuals who now find that they are facing a, an enemy that they didn't even know existed and that they come to understand as the story progresses is is not like an individual it's it's more like if you were to find yourself and, and in a real sense this does happen sometimes where, where an individual essentially finds themselves standing up in conflict against uh the entire power of the government for instance yeah uh yeah. in some way uh and, and and how do you do that how does the little guy possibly stand up to such a, a, a force uh, and and that's very much what we're going to get into here because they again they come to discover that uh, and this this in a way though it's a bad thing mainly it can be a good thing in a way too because it, it is one of the things that will make it essential that Zach and Vinny bond not only that, but when I when I first envisioned this and and, uh, and had all of these plot lines about the all these individual um, uh, people and situations that they were going to run it into, RA said, "Well, you know, those are all great, but you need to have a reason." And I'm reading from the notes that he sent me here. He says, uh, "Using the above models yet again, there also has to be a reason for the heroes to stay on the run." which is my, was my idea. I wanted them to be on the run. I'm like, they have to stay on the run. And that's when he said, well, we need an evil cabal. Yeah, cabal. Again, as, as you say, somebody they didn't even know existed before the power uh, manifest in, in divinity. Uh, and uh, that, that, I think that uh, readers, a couple of thoughts I had as, as RA was talking, readers, of course, relate to that tension and, 
once we know that that threat is out there, we worry about it. Hitchcock said it's once we know there's a suitcase under the desk with a bomb in it, we're wondering when it's going to take, you know, when it's going to blow right. up. That was we worry that was, you're right. That was his definition of yeah. suspense. He said if, yeah. you, if, you have, if you show people sitting around a conference table and a bomb suddenly blows up, that's not suspense. That's horror. That's yeah. Shock. Yeah. And, it, and it's, <laughs> it's two it's seconds. Suspense. Yeah, suspense is to show the audience that bomb under the table on a timer and yeah. cut back from time to time, ticking down towards zero. And uh, yeah. I think, I think to be honest, one of the things that that that, it, that the, our series can play into as well, probably, uh, and with no need to be get heavy-handed about it at all, is 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 a very real tension that exists in our country today. Uh, and I think part of the tension comes from the fact that. Um, someone of my age can relate to it probably better than a younger person could. It seems like too many times nowadays, the institutions that people of my age were taught as children were the institutions of society that we could always count on, that we could depend on them for support and protection. And you can rattle off any number of institutions uh, church, government, police, uh, you know, and so forth, schools, uh, and more and more and more in this modern world, uh, people are being shown that maybe you can't always trust those institutions. Uh, maybe they're untrustworthy, or maybe through no fault of their own, they're not what they used to be. They can't do what uh, I, I never, I never once uh, went to school when I was young, thinking there was a possibility I might die at school that day. And it's something that young people today do have to think about. And so that's something that, that, that Zach and Vinny, unfortunately, are already starting to learn, is that uh, they may be on their own. There may be people willing to help them, but how do you find those people? And, and how can you be sure that they are really are trustworthy, that they really do have your best interest in heart, uh, at heart? And uh, so, so yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a concept uh, Barb came up with that, that lends itself to all sorts of possibilities. And that's what you like and, as a writer. Ongoing you know? dramas. And, and, of course, all the people they meet will, will, will be little stories within the, the bigger arc. That's I think, uh, you know, stories are often metaphors and, and, and even metaphors that we, we didn't necessarily as writers set out to create. But I think now with the pandemic, everybody can understand having something that, that is totally beyond your control, suddenly interrupt your life, interrupt your plans and everything. And oh, yeah. uh, so, you know, I think it, it, it is kind of a perfect metaphor for this moment. She didn't ask for this, but now. Yeah. Uh, and that, that is one of the, the great sources of stress on people uh, in their lives is either just the lack of or the loss of, uh, as you put it, control. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Maggie Thompson, I had a great, great compliment for, um, for the writing on this. And I, I, give all the props to RA for this because while the story and the concept the characters and plot line were all mine, the scripting was completely RA. 
And um, her her comment, she she left a wonderful review, was when you get to the end of the first issue, it ends in such a way that she says she really wants to know what happens next, and that is a good sign of writing. Yeah, that you wanna you wanna keep uh, keep turning. I, I want to uh, remind everyone that there, there's a great uh, the, the great Kevin Van Hook quote that's on the uh, on the. Um, Kickstarter page, but uh, Kevin Van Hook, uh, who is a creator of Bloodshot and a filmmaker, said Divinity Number One manages to bring a fresh take to this story of a young girl with mysterious with mysterious healing powers. Alex Sarabia's pencils, combined with veteran inker Barb Kalberg, keeps the tale moving and makes you care for the characters as you're along for the ride. Good stuff! Exclamation point. Uh, and, it, you know, I think it, it, it that brings up the point that, uh, you know, I think what you're describing here is, is, is kind of something that readers don't necessarily always say they want, but that they respond to. We, we, when we think about a comic, we think about, oh, the great action scenes. But the great action scenes don't mean as much if we don't care about who they're happening to, if we're not worried about uh, mm-hmm. the people. And I think, you know, these are definitely very real people with you know, very realistic lives that are going through these problems. So when the set pieces kick in, they're people we were really worried about. And I think that's, you guys have really invested a lot of, uh, of, um, well, thank um, you. You know, you made a very good point about that, too. I, I'm sure we've all had occasions where we've been watching a movie, for instance, and at some point it just dawned on us that, you know what? I I kind of find myself thinking, gee, I wish a bomb would just blow all of them up and make go home. <laughs> Let's get this so, over with. I'm not yeah. liking any yeah. of these people. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. And that is yeah. that is a, a, one of the, the tricks of the trade to try to do that. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a hero either. Uh, you look at the the huge success of, say, the Godfather franchise. Uh, not not a story about squeaky clean good guys, certainly, yeah. but characters that were developed in such a way that that uh, that people responded to them and 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 did care about what happened to them. Yeah, we certainly and relate it, to Michael. Yeah, the the yeah. the son. It, it's well, it's it's one of those strange phenomenon too that that. Sometimes it happens in the real world when you when you get uh, like the fascination with a, a Jesse James uh, or a Bonnie and Clyde uh, character. There is part of the bad that, that that appeals to all of us on some level, whether we want to admit it or not. But part of it too is 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 that we do all have the ability to differentiate between fantasy and reality, uh, which is why you can, you know in in real life. Obviously, I know I don't want anyone robbing my bank, (laughs) but in a movie, I can really I can really root for the bad guys, if you will, the villa, the the, the crooks, uh, if they're likable characters to to succeed in their attempt to 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 rob the bank or whatever, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, like Ocean's Eleven, the the casino. Yeah, 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 you really with them for the highs. Well, and I think the, the, the television series 24. Uh, yes, I think yeah. the Kiefer Sutherland character was was a wonderful character, just fascinating to watch. Yeah. 
as I tell people, if such a character really exists in our government, I hope they put him down like a rabid dog. Yeah, he's dangerous. <laughs> yeah, because, yes. guys out of control. It's a loose cannon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But you know, uh, I think you know, Ra. You were saying, you know, you're you're not an 11 year old girl, but you have people you know <laughs> that you can draw on, and you can also empathize, and you also can make some intellectual connections. And, and I keep I, him on the track for that. Yeah, too, and well, you, you, yeah. Barb was Barb was once an eleven-year-old girl, <laughs> and I raised well, one too. Yeah, <laughs> I remember those painful years. Yeah, but uh, what I was going to say, you know, that empathy that the writer and writers, in in this case, feel and invest into that, then allows the uh, the reader or the viewer, if it's a movie or whatever to 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 have that vicarious experience and to you know identify with these people that are not like them often like you say with bonnie and clyde or or whatever. well i think i think too that writers are uh keen observers mm-hmm. or they should be yeah uh, yeah uh, the, we we watch people we study people uh they don't know it but hopefully but but, but yeah so you do you learn from everything uh as I say, literally everything that a writer sees, hears, experiences, tastes, touch, is potential research mm-hmm. for for what he writes. Then and and studying human beings is, is a part of that. I uh, I actually uh, one of my minors in college was psychology, mm-hmm. and, and part of the reason for that was that I felt that it was it was a, a discipline that would be very beneficial to me. Just in my own life, uh, certainly, but but especially as a writer, uh, to to try to gain a better understanding for why not not just what people do, but why they do what they do. They also say to write what you know, and that's one of the reasons why Zach was um, military because I'm a military mom. Yeah. Um, my son is a master sergeant in the Air Force and has been for 16 years. So he's he's a he's a 20-year man, probably beyond. And unlike Zach, who wanted to be a 20-year man. Right. Uh, so and, and and then to that to that end, uh, as I mentioned to Barb before, I I I do not have a military background at all. I, I never served in the military. Uh, so among other things, I have been reading. Uh, uh, for instance, there's a, a terrific anthology uh, called Redeployment. Uh, that is, uh, they're all the sh- they're short stories, but all written by the same uh, man who's a, a veteran of, of the Iraq and uh, Afghanistan operations and so forth. Uh, I, I read the uh, the memoir American Sniper uh, and some other materials. Uh, not to make me an expert in any way, I'm not, never will be. But, but to hopefully give me a little more insight uh, in, into the military mindset and, and the and the the way a, a soldier, sailor, marine might think or react to, in any given situation and so forth. So hopefully I can bring some of that uh, into the scripting as well for both Zach and Olivia. Yeah. Well. Uh, great thoughts, guys. We are getting toward the top of the hour, the 11 o'clock hour uh, on the East Coast. Uh, so I think we need to think about wrapping up. Um, and uh, we will, uh, before we go, we'll do a reminder about the Kickstarter. But I want to touch base with everyone and uh, 
let the viewers and the on-demand viewers later know where they can find your stuff. And I will, I will go in reverse order on, on my screen. Uh, R.A., uh, certainly your uh, uh, Scimitar novel and uh, your other novels are on Amazon, right? Uh, are there other places they can find you online? Uh, Amazon, certainly. In fact, uh, I do have an author's page uh, on Amazon. Just go to the Amazon book section and type in R.A. Jones and hit search. And uh, you'll find a, a, a sampling, a little short bio, and and uh, a listing of a great deal of the things I've written. And, and yes, much much of it available uh, through Amazon. Uh, with the novels, especially now, there are things like uh, you know uh, audio versions and uh, and ebook uh, versions as well. Uh, yes, those that, that can be uh, be purchased uh, instantaneously. And, yeah. So. Great. So yeah, I'm not hard to find out there. <laughs> so 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 uh, viewers should search R. A. Jones and uh, yes, look for the uh, look for the credits and look for the things that they can buy. So excellent, uh, Barb. Where can uh, people find you online? I'm the only Barbara Kalberg online. I, there's only two of us in the entire world. The other one is my sister-in-law, and she's not on the internet. <laughs> so it's not hard to find me. Uh, my last name is K A A L. B-E-R-G. If you Google me, you'll get about 10,000 sites. Um, but mostly you can find me on Facebook um, and Twitter. Uh, there's there's art for sale and books in, on Amazon and stuff like that if, if you Google it. But um, come find me on Facebook. I'm very, I'm, I have a public page. So, so. I am on so. Facebook as well. I forgot to mention that. I'm glad Barb did. Yeah, I can, uh, you can also find me on Facebook. Oh, excellent. Occasionally. Excellent. So, <laughs> so say, say hello to uh, R.A. and Barb. Absolutely. Love to hear from you. And Rob, uh, where can where can people find you online? Well, I'm also at Facebook, on Facebook, uh, Rob Rob Davis. Uh, there's probably a bunch of Rob Davises, but uh, when, when you start seeing artwork or seeing this ugly bug, You've got the right one because I I don't put uh, uh, weird pictures in my ID uh, circle. I I use this this mug. Uh, I'm also uh, I also have my own website robmdavis.com, and uh, that'll take you to my to uh, to a gallery page that'll take you show you some of the stuff that I've done. Uh, we've also got airship27hanger.com, and that's where you can. Uh, you can go and, and check out the, the Airship 27 catalog. I'm the designer all those great of all the characters. All the, yeah, yeah, all the all the stuff that we talked about earlier on. It's the uh, uh, revival pulp characters. Plus, there's also once we got started into that, then we had writers who wanted to create their own characters set in the pulp uh, milieu. And uh, so we've got we've got all kinds of things. We've got anthologies, all that that you can find out at Airship27Hanger.com. Uh, there's also my self-publishing comics, I've done a few comics, one comic that I've written, and I've had some other collaborators uh, that we've done some self-publishing things with. I mentioned uh, Daughter of Dracula earlier. That's available. Yeah, that uh, sounds on, exciting. And, and we, have a, we have a Facebook page there. It's Red, Red Bud Studio Comics. That's on Facebook. And then Airship 27 Productions, uh, also on Facebook. So, and... and just, just to, to highlight something that R.A. didn't cover, we just we are about to release uh, one of his latest novels called, and okay, I went blanking on it for a second. Twi- uh, the Road Twice Traveled. Thank you. <laughs> ah. I, I was going to get it backwards. The Road Twice Traveled, 
the the uh, the interior is being uh, proofread as we speak. Yeah. So maybe in right. the next week or so, that will actually be out. I I, uh, I, I illustrated the inside with the uh, shaded pencils, so it has kind of a soft feel. Usually, what I use is uh, inked inked pages, like you would have in a comic book. This this actually has uh, shaded pencils in it, so it's got a little bit different feel to it. But it's this is this is unlike anything else you've seen from R.A. Jones. But it's a great book, and that's all I'm going to say about it. Cool. To say much more might give it give too much sure. of it away, but it's so, the road so, twice traveled. The road twice traveled. Everyone remember that and look for it. Right. And uh, Tim, where can people find you? I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Tim TK Writer. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not the only Tim TK. The other one is a sportscaster for ESPN. Uh, huh. I'm also on uh, TikTok at Tim Doesn't TikTok. And I'm here on Twitch at Agro Bacon, where I'll be live later tonight with uh, Dawn of War. Very good. Very good. I am Sydney Williams, and you can find me at SidIsAlive.com. <laughs> SidIsAlive.com. And I'll just hold up one thing while I'm here. Uh, my novel, <laughs> Dark Hours, one of, uh, one of many, but uh, one, a fairly recent one. And so we'll, we'll do a plug for that for me. And uh, we will remind everyone of the Kickstarter. We're, we're still at, uh, what, 6,400? Uh, yeah, somebody backed out. So we're, oh, we're down to 6,354. 6, still, still in the, uh, in the right realm yeah. uh, for, uh, for the extras and everything. Uh, so, so, so still time to get on board, get these great comics, get some, uh, get some of the great extras, the artwork. If you're a fan of original art, uh, and, uh, uh, of many kinds, it's, it's there. So, so hop on and, uh, uh, 60 odd hours left to go. Let me remind you that Silverline will be back on at 9 PM Sunday, Eastern time with uh, Roland Mann hosting and many great creators on hand. And uh, Silverline will also be back uh, at 9 p.m. Monday with a one-on-one with uh, anchor Tommy Floramonte, uh, who has been on the show, friend of the show, friend of Silverline, regular guest here on Silverline Live. So we will sign off tonight, and uh, we will say make mine Silverline. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Silverline Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We know we ramble sometimes, but we have fun. And after all, isn't that what comics are all about? We hope you'll follow us on all our social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, LinkedIn, Reddit, MeWe, Gab, and whatever new thing pops up between now and the time you listen to us. Please like, follow, share, and remember, make mine Silverline.